Bibles to the book of Haggai this morning. You find your place there in Haggai, the Old Testament. A good way to find that book tucked away towards the end of the Old Testament. Just go to the book of Matthew, uh, the first book of the New Testament, and flip backwards uh, just a few books, and you will find your place there. And uh, glad to, to see everyone here this morning, and uh, just appreciate what God is doing in our church, appreciate what God's doing in each of your lives, and uh, we're, we're excited about uh, all the things uh, that we get to participate in for the Lord. He allows us to serve alongside Him as co-laborers together with God. What an awesome thought, and uh, we are um, looking for God to do, continue to do those things. We're in the book of Haggai, uh, chapter 2 is where we'll be. We'll find your place there. This will be the last message, I think. I'm hoping to finish the message this morning. We have preached four messages from this book. Uh, we are finishing up this morning. Uh, if you haven't, if you didn't get a chance to, or were not here for those messages, uh, they will. They are online. And by the way, wanted to mention uh, all of the messages from the uh, summer revival with Brother Comfort. Uh, Dr. Ron Comfort, and all the messages from Missions Conference uh, that Brother Bud Stedman preached are online. And so those are uh, excellent uh, tools to, to use for encouragement, uh, to listen to going down the road, or uh, whenever you have an opportunity, you can download those and uh, just they, let them be a blessing to you, let them encourage you. But those, these messages are, 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 online, are online as well. And I hope that will be an encouragement to you. I hope you and I hope you are planning coming next Saturday. I mean, you may be traveling, but uh, but if there's any reason that you should come uh, next Saturday, this coming Saturday, let me just give you one that might be a motivation. It's this: there will be a sack race with the adults. And if you're looking for a good laugh, just come for that part, okay? Uh, I got, I don't, we don't have it. We might be able to get it, but I got Brother Mark Reynolds, uh, doing like a, almost a somersault in that sack going over. Did you see that online, Brother Thomas? Have you seen that one? That, that should go on ESPN Sports Center on the highlights. And uh, they'll say, where did this take place? This took place at Crooked Creek Baptist Church, and don't you forget it, okay? That's where we have the world class. So anyway, it's going to be a good time. Uh, please bring the family out and, and just enjoy it. You don't have to stay the whole time. If, if you came for a half hour to an hour, dropped in and hung out with a little, for a little bit. That's what we got it set up for, is to come as you, come as you please and, and uh, enjoy the time relaxing together. It's always been a blessing to our church, and I hope it will continue to be a blessing to the community. Well, you'll find your place there in Haggai chapter 2, Haggai chapter 2, and I'll begin reading in verse number 20, and we'll read through verse 23. The Bible says, And again, the word of the Lord came unto Haggai in the four and twentieth day of the month, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake the heavens and the earth. And I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms, and I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the heathen. And I will overthrow the chariots and those that ride in them, and the horses and their riders shall come down, every one by the sword of his brother. And that day, saith the Lord of hosts, will I take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, saith the Lord, and will make thee as a signet. For I have chosen thee, saith the Lord of hosts. 
Let's pray together. Father, I'm asking now that you would guide us in the Word of God, that Holy Spirit, you would illumine our minds with your precious Word. And I pray that you would apply it as you see perfectly fit for every person here. And that Jesus Christ would be high and lifted up. And Lord, that you would be exalted. And Lord, I want to thank you for this book. I want to thank you for what you did in these people's lives. And that you are looking to do the same in ours. And the wonderful prophetic truth that is there as well. Oh Lord, would you encourage us today. We come to you. We humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord. And we claim that promise, Lord. That those that do that, you say, ye shall lift them up. And so, Father, we commit this message and this service to you. In Jesus' precious name, I do pray. Amen. Now, you'll remember that this is the fourth message uh, from Haggai. Now, the third and the fourth, you will note that the dates are the same. In other words, this was a back-to-back message. And I'm sure you folks would love for me to be able to do that, wouldn't you? And just go from one message to the other? No, I didn't think so. Uh, but this time it did. Haggai had a message uh, that we preached on last time. And it was a, a, a reminder to them of what they had been brought from and the hope that they had going forward. Uh, the people that had been led out of captivity, uh, they were the first group, you'll remember, of about 50,000 Jews that were going back to resettle the homeland, uh, to rebuild the temple. They had built the foundation. They have reestablished the altar and then they got lazy uh, and they got apathetic and they just got away from doing what God called them to do. And we have all understood we're all there at certain times in our life. We are, even as Christians, there are times that we do grow lazy spiritually. And uh, we grow apathetic spiritually. But God in His wisdom always sends His prophets at the right time. And this situation, that's exactly what He did. He sent Haggai and also will send Zechariah, which is the next book, to encourage this group of people to press on for God Almighty. And so we see here that uh, this message is a little bit unique from the others. Why is it unique? Well, you'll notice there in verse number 21, it says, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah. Now, the, the, the messages before were directed towards uh, not only the leader, but they were uh, directed toward the priest there, Josiah, and, uh, and uh, excuse me, Joshua, and then also to the people of Judah. So they were grouped together, but this one, it changes. God's got a message for the leader. He's got a message for Zerubbabel, and he is going to uh, encourage him and remind him of some things that I think that we will be encouraged by as well. First of all, let's talk about who this leader is. Who is Zerubbabel? Well, we know that he was the grandson of, of Jehoiachin, which was uh, ne- the next to the last king of Judah. All right, Zedekiah was the last king of Judah before Babylon would come in, King Nebuchadnezzar, and, and would take them captive. But, uh, so, but Jehoiachin was, was his grandfather. And, and that is going to be uh, very important as we move through the message. He was a descendant of the royal line, line of David. The royal line of David. He was in that seed line. And that's going to be significant as well as we move forward. And it's also uh, very important to understand that he is the one that led this first group 
of 50,000 Jews from Babylonian captivity back to the homeland. What is this message that God has for Zerubbabel at this moment, at this time of Scripture? The message is this, I believe, can be summed up in this phrase, and it is the title of this morning's message. Victory is secure. Victory is secure. You know, you'll remember what this man had been experiencing. Himself had gone through a spiritual difficulty time, difficult time in his life, a low point. But God had brought about a revival and they weren't quite seeing things progress as quickly as they would have liked. They weren't seeing things truly revived like they would have liked, like progress in the building of the temple and, and the, the luxury of the temple and, and comparing it to Solomon's temple. And there was some discouragement among them. And, they, and, and God dealt with that in the last message. But then he goes to the leader this time with another message of encouragement to assure him that victory is secure. Can I tell you something, believer, here this morning? I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you have gone through. And I don't know what you will go through. But there's one thing that you need to take from this message and take from this book, the Word of God. You need to be encouraged this morning that victory in Jesus Christ is an absolute surety. No room for debate. No room for argument. When we find our place in Him, it is truly complete. And it is complete victory. Hallelujah. And I'm trusting that God will help us as a local church to know that we have the victory in Christ. There was a man who was a theological student and studying, preparing for the ministry. He was playing basketball one day with his buddies, just having a good time. And they were using the court at a nearby school and uh, where they noticed a friendly janitor was just kind of sitting off to the side, taking a break. Uh, from his duties that that day, and at the, at that time he happened to be sitting on the bleachers reading his Bible, had an open Bible, and so of course these students, out of their curiosity, approached him, and uh, and as they noticed this man reading his Bible, they discovered that not only was he reading his Bible, but he was reading the book of Revelation. And they thought that was interesting. Here we are, theological students, and we're over here playing ball. We got the custodian over here on the bleachers reading the book of Revelation. They thought that was interesting. So they asked him, as in their surprise. And it was, and it was a difficult book to interpret, they admitted, for even highly trained Bible students. And they asked him, sir, do you understand what you're reading? He said, oh, yes, I understand it. Now, this young man was truly intrigued. Here was this book that baffled scholars, and that was the focus of every conspiracy theory known to humanity. And this old man, a janitor, with little formal education, claimed to understand it. He said, you, this young man said, you understand the book of Revelation? What do you think it means, asked this young man. The old man looked up at him and very quietly said, it means that Jesus is going to win. Amen. And that brother knew the truth of the Word of God, but not only did he know the truth of the book of Revelation, but let me tell you something, friend. He understood that is the truth of life as a Christian. 
The life of a Christian should be a victorious Christian life. I did not say a life of perfection. But a life of us knowing by faith that the victory is in Christ. And I believe that is the message that Haggai has for this leader. And I believe it's the message that God has for us. What is the first thing that he says in this message that God tells him about this victory? I believe the first thing that he says that we see here in the Word of God is God saying, I will bring the victory. Now, this is where we can struggle a little bit. <laughs> in our human minds, and our human reasoning, many times in life, in the Christian life, we want to get our hands on it. We want to do all the work in a sense of changing things the way we think we ought, they ought to be changed and, and just manipulating them by our human powers, which really is nothing compared to God's power. But God's going to let this leader know right up front, Sir, Zerubbabel, my servant, we'll get to that here in a minute, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. Now, this, this right here where he says in verse number 22, it starts in verse 21, notice that how many times he says, I will. He says, I will shake all right, the heavens and the earth. I will overthrow. I will destroy. I will overthrow. He says these things that are very obvious that he's saying, I am going to do this. God is claiming that he is going to bring this great victory. Now, in context, I believe here he is referring to the future tribulation time when the great Armageddon, the great battle of Armageddon will take place. I do believe that that's the context of here that he's referring to. It's prophetic, it's future, and it's in its context. But there is a truth there that even applies for this man at this moment of his life. That victory is secure. Notice there also after he says, I will, uh, over, uh, I will shake the heavens and the earth. I want you to notice an important term here. And the second phrase he says he will do. God says in verse number 22... And I will overthrow, overthrow, what is the next two words? The throne. The throne. The throne of kingdoms. What is this throne he's referring to? Well, Revelation, notice in uh, Revelation chapter 11, you can see there, we, uh, we may use it. I'm not sure if we have it available or not. Do we have the verse available we were going to maybe use that, but if not, that's fine. Go there with me. Revelation chapter 11. Would you turn there with me? Revelation chapter 11. And look at verse number 15. All right, this is the again during the tribulation period. All hell is breaking loose literally on this earth. And we see uh, God's judgment coming upon and Satan is being released. But I want you to see here, Revelation chapter 11, verse number 15. It says, And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. Well, what is that verse implying there? 
Well, it's implying the very fact that there was a time before this takes place, it's it's futuristic for us, but that there is a kingdom on this world. And there will be a kingdom rule in the tribulation time that's ruled by Satan. He is the king of, of that kingdom. He is the one who's ruling. And He is using uh, the kingdoms of this earth, uh, the, the authorities and the sovereignties of this earth, the different countries and armies and military rule. He's going to use it to His favor. And He's going to uh, seek to dethrone God, which we know that's an impossibility. By the way, Satan deceived himself in he- when he was in heaven as Lucifer. Do you know that he, according to the Word of God, Even though it's stated in the book of Revelation, even though it's factual, it's the Word of God, God has declared His ending, He is still convinced that He will win. He's convinced that He will be able to overcome, but my friends, God says no. And He will not be able to overcome the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is most definite. We know his ending place, but we see here that there was a time that, and, and, and I include that today, that there is a rule of Satan. I'll describe that more so, so here in just a minute. I believe Satan's rule will come to a culmination during the tribulation time, and then it will be totally replaced by King Jesus. The Lord Jesus will set up His throne upon this earth in Jerusalem. And Satan will will no longer have any rule over this earth. It will be all in the hands and control of the mighty God, the Lamb of God, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Now, Lucifer, who is Satan, uh, who is Satan, uh, when he rebelled uh, against Almighty God in heaven... When he rebelled against the Lord, the Creator, thinking that he could be higher and he could be like God, and he was a very powerful angel, by the way. God made him one of his more uh, his uh, high-ranking angels, along with Michael. He was a high-ranking angel, very powerful, lots of influence, and and and. Uh, but he got it in his head, and he convinced himself, and I think because of pride, he deceived himself, thinking, "Well, hey, I can go above God." I can, I can go over God. And, and then because of that, God kicked him out of heaven. He was expelled from the presence of God and the heavenlies there with the Lord God. And he was expelled from that place. And when he went, one third of the angelic host went with him. One third went with him. How many of that? We don't know for sure. But there was a lot of them. That one-third of those angels, those were at one time good angels. Lucifer was a good angel. He was created. He was a created being by Almighty God. He was a good angel. But when they rebelled against God, God kicked them out. And then once they were kicked out, they made it, and they are still making it, their mission to do what? To blind the human race. To bind the human race. And to do everything they can to keep the human race from worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. That is their goal. That is their mission. And they are aggressive. And they are working vigorously every single day of this earth's time to bind men and women, boys and girls, to deceive them and to keep them from looking to the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The unsaved of this world follow their ruler, and their ruler is Satan. 
I want to share a few verses here with you. To save time, we're going to go through them. I'm just going to read a couple of them to you. You can turn there if you want to. But the first one here is is in 1 John uh, chapter 5, verse 19. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. That word lieth there carries the idea of being in control to the wicked one. They are suppressed. One that lieth down almost with a foot on top of them. That's the way Satan has this world. He is controlling this world, this world system. God has allowed him to do that. You understand God is not making him do that, but because of the curse of sin and because of the fall of Satan and the angels, he he is allowed, he has some jurisdiction on this earth. Now, you say, well, wait a minute, does that mean God is out of control? No. God is in complete control. But, but, he has allowed Satan to have rule over the, the kingdoms of this earth, the unbelieving earth. Those that reject the gospel, those that are unbelieving, he is controlling them and they follow him. We also know that he is called, Satan is called the God of this age and and, and God of this world, which can also mean age in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. In whom the God of this world, who's that talking about? Satan. He hath blinded the minds, lest the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. You see, that is what he's doing. And then we know that he is fighting in the spiritual realm. He can come onto earth and he can take the possession of bodies. We know that demons can possess bodies, humans. We know that. And animals, we know that from the Word of God. And they do that, but their main work is in the spiritual realm. We can't see them. Okay, And what they are doing is they are working vigorously every day in the spiritual realm all over this globe. Not just in America, but you can go over to Africa. You can go to Papua New Guinea. You can, you can go to Europe. You can go to Paris where I lived for a year and a half. You can go to the Sahara Desert. Go anywhere in this world, my friends. And I'm telling you, he's working there. They are ruling the unbelieving world in their world thinking. And it's, it's anti Christ is anti-Christian. That's who Satan is. And then there in the tribulation time, the Word of God says, we don't have time to look there, but in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, it says that Satan is cast down upon the earth. And that's where it's going to go. The, the aggression and the spiritual warfare and the spiritual battle will go to a whole nother level. When Satan comes down upon this earth and those demons, and they work and even in a more intensive way, it's going to be simply awful. But that's the realm, I believe, we're dealing with here when he talks about this throne. He will be dethroned. King Jesus, my friend, will come and totally take over. And he will not have that power. And and we see here, but there's a way of encouragement. Back to our text. Go back to Haggai there. And there we see that, as he says in uh, chapter 2, verse 21, or 22. Get back here and turn there. It says here, I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms. And he goes on to say the different things that he will do. That is God Almighty. These chariots that he's referring to, that'll be the, 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 the armies from the east and the west, and, and uh, that will converge upon the valley of Megiddo. And they will be utterly destroyed by our Savior, 
the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it doesn't stop there, does it? God says, I'm going to bring this victory. I'm going to destroy the enemy. This is where we come into the picture, and I believe this is where I find a lot of encouragement. Verse 23. He shifts gears here. God says, I will, but then He's going to say, and I'm going to paraphrase. He says, by the way, Zerubbabel, I'm going to allow you to be a part of the victory. Zerubbabel, I am going, I am going to do the destroying. I am Almighty God. I am going to show my power and I am going to overcome the enemy in the end days and I am the Almighty. But by the way, Zerubbabel, I want you to know I'm going to allow you to be a part of this great victory. And you know, the Lord is saying the same thing to you and me today. Everyone in this room, God is desiring that you would be a part of the great victory. Is that not amazing? Is that not encouraging this morning to know that God Almighty is wanting you to come and to be a part, to be a channel, to be a vessel for what the Lord God is doing? You know, you got these power lines out here. I don't recommend you go and touch them. I don't recommend you go and hang on them. Especially, have you heard, anybody that's been around our church property, have you heard those things going over the church on this side? Have you heard how loud they are? I mean, you get under them, you, you almost start vibrating because of the. You feel like, oh my, I'm going to have cancer in like two weeks because I'm standing under this thing. No matter what kind of things, whatever it's putting off, but you're standing under it and you can hear the power of the electricity going through those lines, just standing right over there. And that power is not in the cable. That power is being produced elsewhere, some reservoir with a dam and the different areas, the way they produce power. That's the source. Those lines that we see around, those poles that are holding up the lines, those are just simple vessels. Those are just simple channels that the power is passing through. And ladies and gentlemen, that's what God wants you and I to be. He produces the power. He's the one that brings the great victory. And it's just that those lines and those uh, poles get to be a channel. And you know, I, I, I'm going to bring out a fact here too. You know, those, those poles and lines, just for sake of illustration, they're, they're, they're just vessels. They're not seeing, if they, they, not that they can't see, but they're, they're, not, they're, they're, not, they're not part of being in this room and seeing all the light that it's happening. You know, they're just simply passing through what someone else is producing. And that's what God wants to do through us. God has produced power for us. He is the power. And He's simply saying, Zerubbabel, I want you to know you're going to be a channel. You're going to be in the, the, the Davidic line. You're going to be in the seed line of the royal family. And you are going to be a part, and you are going to be in the seed line of the coming Messiah. And we know that from the genealogy found in the book of Matthew, Zerubbabel is mentioned in that genealogy. He is going to be a seed, a part. He is in that, that, that bloodline, if you will, in that genealogy of, of the coming Messiah. He's in that family. Wow, what a privilege. He goes on to here to say, I will, I will not only give this power, but I will use you to assist in this victory. This verse is both personal and present, but it's also, we know, prophetic. Look there in your Bibles. We know that it's prophetic because it says in verse 23, in that day. 
Alright? That's a coming day that, that that the specific context is referring to. That's a coming time that, that, again, God will set up His kingdom. But notice some of the description He gives here. He calls Zerubbabel, what does He call him? My servant. Wow, what a what a wonderful title to have. My servant. In our society, we don't look at that so good. But you know, Jesus looks at that as being great. May God help us to be the servants we need to be. But this man was obviously a servant. And by the way, we know from the book of Isaiah, chapter 42. We know from uh, the book of Isaiah in chapter 52. We know from the book of John and, and throughout the Word of God in the New Testament, we know from the book of Philippians that the Messiah Himself was a true servant. Almighty God showed the perfect example of being a servant. And so as we see this as being prophetic, this is referring to the Lord Jesus Christ and His future coming, but it also refers to this man's character. He was a servant. But notice this next phrase. He says here, saith the Lord, I will make thee a signet. Now, this is this is interesting, the terminology that he uses. That's also used in Jeremiah. This was a signet that uh, that was used in in this time, in this era, uh, for many reasons. But it's very significant to understand uh, that the, the uses of a signet, because this is what he's calling this man a signet. So what does it mean to be a signet of God? Well, do we have a picture of that? I'm not sure if we have one or not. This was just sort of an example of one that would have been used in that time. It basically uh, showed uh, that that was, number one, authoritative. It was an authoritative sign. It was a mark of honor. It was a mark of authority. It was an object of care and pleasure. It was much valued and constantly in view from those leaders at that time. It was used by the owner to sign letters and documents doing what? Representing. Representing him. So what he is saying here, it, and it was worn always, there was hardly a time that it was not worn, and, and, and this is what he's telling this man here, I want you to be a servant of me, you are a voice for me, you are a vessel for me, you are my representation. And of course we know the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come, and he's going to be that uh, reconciler, the one who brings God to man. He's going to represent truly God's love. He's going to indwell the flesh, and He did, and He come, and he, he came, and He died on a cross, and He rose again the third day, and He truly showed forth the love of Almighty God. But He came the first time to show love. But can I say, friends, we must understand the Word of God. The first time He came to show love, but the second time He comes. When he steps foot on this earth, it will be for vengeance. The first time he came to set foot on this earth, he went and lived a life of perfection. And he became the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He laid up on the cross. And that time he said, Father, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That was the first time. The second time he steps foot on this earth, he will come with a white horse and he will come with great fiery vengeance. And he will destroy all the wickedness of the earth, all the unbelievers and Satan and his armies. They will be destroyed. That is the almighty God. That is the one who is coming. And he is one who always 
is faithful. He is eternal. He is Alpha and Omega. He's the beginning and the end of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God, I believe in, in this context, I believe in personal application. I believe Zerubbabel was a servant. He was a representation of Almighty God. And I want to ask us a question this morning. When it comes, when it comes to being a representation, a signet of Almighty God, are we willing to do that? Are we doing that? Are we walking in victory? Are we showing this world that, hey, the time is at hand. The Lord is at hand. What does that mean in the Philippians? I don't have time to go to it. What does that mean when we're showing the world the Lord is at hand? Praise God. You know what it's saying? The Lord is the victor. The Lord is in control, world. And my friends, you want to have some freedom in your life. You want to have some liberty. You stop listening to the lies of the devil. The deceiver who has convinced you that you were defeated. He has convinced you that you'll never amount to anything. He he tries to convince us that it's not going to work out. But I got news for him. You know, I don't make it a practice. In fact, I tell my children, listen, I do not want to hear you say the the words, shut up. I, I I think, you know, that's just really rude. It's really unkind. Just don't use that. But you know what? I've made an exception. I've made an exception. And I'm sorry if I offend anyone here. But I'll tell my children, and I'll tell you, when Satan comes and tries to whisper lies into you that you are done, that you are no good, that you're a loser, and that it's all done, and your life is a waste, and you'll never see any victory in your life, I want you to give him a wholehearted, Shut up! Shut up! You can say it however you want. But tell him to shut up. Because he's a liar. He's a deceiver. And my victory is in Jesus. I'm complete in Him. I am, I am, I am in full victory through my Savior, Jesus Christ. Satan has no control over me. I was bought by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I'm bought for all eternity. My sins are paid for. My body, my all, my everything. It's His. It's the Lord Jesus'. I want to be a signet for the Savior. I don't want to be a signet for Satan. I don't want to go through this world working for Him. Because, can I just say this? Just put it simply. In this world, we are either serving the Savior or we are serving Satan. You say, what about self? Hey, if you're serving self, you're serving Satan. That's who he is. He's selfish. That's his spirit. That's his teaching. That's his desire. He wants us to be selfish. So that's his end goal. Yes, he uses the flesh. And I'm talking to some people here today that maybe you're on the line. Maybe you hadn't decided whether you're going to be a signet for the Savior or a signet for Satan. But I can tell you one thing. You are one or the other this morning. And it's time for God's people to make up their mind that we're going to be a signet for the Lord Jesus Christ We're going to be a representation of Him. And we're going to walk in victory, giving Him the praise, the honor, and the glory that's due unto His name. Because all we are is channels. He gets the glory. He produces the power. He's the one that we look to. You know, Zerubbabel's grandfather. I mentioned him earlier. Uh, He also was spoken of, and I don't have time to go there, but in Jeremiah. Do you know he also wore a signet? 
And I feel, I feel it's very interesting to note that. That he, you can look at it at some other time, but it's in Jeremiah chapter 22, verses 24 through 30. His grandfather was not, was, came to a point where God cast the signet off. And judgment came. The signet that was supposed to be used for God's glory was not being used in that way and he was cast off. Listen, we don't want that to happen with us. We want to be used of the Lord. And look with me in closing here. Look there at the end of verse 23. He says, I will make thee a signet. And he says, for I have chosen thee, saith the Lord of hosts. Jesus came because he was chosen to come. He came. And he came for us. And I'm thankful for that. And he came to us and he has made his children to be ambassadors. He has made us to be lights. He says, as, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. The Lord Jesus has given us this great task and God has chosen us for His glory. God has chosen us to serve Him. Even Matthew chapter 12 says, the Lord says, Behold my servant, speaking of His Son Jesus Christ, whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. That was the heart of the Father. Listen, the battle is the Lord's. He has chosen you and me on the battlefield to have a part. Let's not run for the bunkers, but run to the Lord of hosts. That was one thing that stood out in my study in the book of Haggai, of how many times the phrase Lord of hosts, that simply means Lord God Almighty. Over and over and over and over, it's used in this small, this little book. The Lord of hosts. We need to run to Him and hide in Him because He will fight these battles for us as we abide in Him. You know, we may not see all the victories taking place. But you know what, church? Listen to me very carefully. You may not see the victories right now taking place. But that does not matter. You have to trust that the victory is already won. It may not look like it. Satan may look like he's winning. Satan may have convinced us that it's not all working out. But you know what that happens? We become people of unbelief. We basically get to the point, Satan gets us to the point where we stop believing that victory is found in Christ. No matter how it looks, we trust by faith that the victory is His. Something really strange happened at a ball game in Badger Stadium in Madison, Wisconsin. Now, it didn't happen yesterday, that's for sure. Some strange things happened, but they just got beat real bad. But the Badger Stadium at this ball game was packed. Over 60,000 uh, University of Wisconsin fans were watching their beloved football team taking a beating by Michigan State. What seemed odd was that the score became more and more lopsided. Burst of cheers, get this, kept being heard in the stands. Some people began to wonder who these strange people were who were cheering while their team was being pummeled. As it turns out, Seventy miles away from Badger Stadium, 
The Milwaukee Brewers were beating the St. Louis Cardinals in a game in game three of the World Series. Many of the Badger fans in the stands were listening to portable radios and responding to something else beside what was happening right in front of their eyes. You know, in many ways, that is a fairly accurate description of what the Christian life is many times. You may not see the victories taking place the way you want them at this moment. But my friends, get away from the deception. If you are dwelling in Christ and abiding in Christ, you know the victory is yours. Complete victory. And what do we do when we can't see the victories? What do we do, church? We what? We walk by. I know we hear that from this old up. But sometimes we forget, don't we? We walk by faith. We know that King Jesus is coming. Just like the book says, He's coming and He's going to set up His throne. But I want to tell you right now, you know where He wants to be here today? He wants to set up His throne on your heart. He wants you to be a signet for Him. He wants you to trust Him. And know that He is working all things out. It may seem like evil. It may seem like things aren't working out. But my friends, we must trust the Almighty God knowing that victory is secure.